0: Vinny Lingham is a prolific entrepreneur who has built businesses spanning the globe and across various verticals, including website builders, a gift card company, and a decentralized identity verification platform on the blockchain. He is also an active investor, a shark on Shark Tank South Africa, a dragon on Dragon's Den South Africa, and an author. Vinny and I sit down to discuss his business gift that was dreamed up, built, and sold in less than three years for more than $50 million. We talk about GIFT paying $50 fees on $5 transactions and how introducing Bitcoin payments pulled the company out from the depths of despair. Hold on to your headphones because this is a fast-paced episode. My name is Nick Carolambus and I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. So remember, it's not over until it's over. Okay, welcome back to another episode of It's Not Over. I am sitting with a very, very long-time friend of mine, Vinnie Lingham, we're both South Africans, and I will tell a little story to start. I remember sitting and watching Vinnie launch his first major tech startup at a 27-dinner in South Africa. It was called Synthesite back then. It was um, on an overhead projector, and uh, that business became Yola. Yola then got acquired or grew and then you launched gift and then you launched civic and dude there's so much stuff that you could be talking about on this particular show so thank you for joining me and welcome
1: thanks Nick good to be here it's been a long journey I think
0: (laughs) I mean what a wild ride I gotta say I've been really excited to talk to you on the show so why don't you give us some context let's dive right in what business are you going to be talking about us with us today how does it work how did you make money and then we'll get into the rest of it
1: I mean, I think I'm happy to chat about a lot of my, diff- my businesses and experiences. You know, there's a couple that's quite, I think, relevant today and depends on the context. But I think, you know, from a tech startup perspective, you know, the, the gift experience was great. There was a, a you know, Two and a half year startup to exit story, which is which is really you know those are the fun ones versus the long haul slogs. So do my Gareth, Newtown Partners is still around in South Africa. It's, uh, you know, it's a it's a pretty reasonable sized player, and that's a venture capital firm which I started with Luke. And uh, yeah, and then you know I'm, I've been involved in like multiple businesses as well. So like hey, you know you know me, I'm kind of got a whole bunch of things that I've been doing. Uh, mm-hmm. I tend to spend 80% of my time focusing on my primary company and then like 20% and that's kind of been my, my, my philosophy over the years and, and that 20% has been really very good for me in terms of learning and but but you know when I like I think when we started GIFT so after Yola in 2011 I left and started GIFT which is a mobile gift card platform in 2012 it was at the intersection of mobile phones taking off and payments taking off on mobile and when I went into Starbucks in 2011 and i paid with a gift card a starbucks gift card on my phone it was kind of like magic right it was instant there was no signing anything they deducted the three bucks off my card uh, i could refill in 20 or 50 increments and i used to go to starbucks every day so this was just amazing and so i was like okay well you know is every car every business in the in, in the country gonna have a starbucks app or type app and a get prepaid card probably not so maybe there's like an opportunity to create a, a gift card app that you can store all your gift cards, you can sell them, you can digitize them, etc. And so we started off with that premise, we built it up, we built the product from scratch, used the team in Cape Town to the development. It was a, a bit of a interesting journey because we struggled with payments early on and the biggest problem was fraud. Um, chargebacks, merchant fraud, because you're not seeing your customers online. So right? And the difference is, you know, we can't ship the product, we don't ship the product to your physical address with a credit card on file, we ship it, to you digitally within seconds. So if you aren't who you say you are, we lose money. So the business kind of hit a speed bump at that point. We couldn't grow it, we, You know, the fraud just got really bad. Can
0: I stop you there to explain to the uh, listener who doesn't know what a chargeback is and why that could be problematic?
1: So with all credit cards, you have chargeback protection. So in other words, if, if, you're, if someone uses your card for an unauthorized transaction, you call your bank, you say it wasn't you, the merchant has to prove it was you, Otherwise, the amount gets reversed on your card and the merchant sits with, with a penalty, a fee, and the, the, the out-of-pocket. Now, in some cases, we were paying $50 fees on $5 transactions. <laughs> so it was just not a very profitable business. We, we, we struggled. That was like the near-death experience. Like, I, I think March of 2013, I was considering taking a job with a friend of mine because they, they were like, hey you know, we are we're on a company that's about to do you know and that company eventually became like a multi billion dollar business, but like we're on, on track to just keep growing. Why don't you come on board and be a COO and just help us like scale this business up? And I was like, I don't know, I'll think about it. It was a huge salary offer, huge stock. And I was like, yeah, you know, I like kinda of like my own journey in life. I don't really wanna be you know, be part of another journey or you know, forge my own destiny. And I stuck with it and we added bitcoin to gift and then everything took off like bitcoin was kind of the turning point for gift in 2013 where we were able to instantly take payments from anyone and and i say instantly like we didn't even we didn't even wait for six confirmations we did zero confirmation payments back then because the protocol back then didn't have something called rbf which basically changed the way it works in 2015. But in 2014, you could just accept payments. And we, we did 100,000 payments and no fraud using Bitcoin. And that just took off. And so we were doing you know millions of dollars in sales a day. Some days, we're one of the biggest, probably the biggest Bitcoin site in the world. At one stage, we were 5% of all Bitcoin blockchain transactions per day. <laughs> so That is crazy. Yeah, and we, we sold the company the First Data, the world's largest payments company for... Yeah, you know, we never just the us the amount, but it was north of fifty million dollars, and you know it was a big news at the time. At the time, South Africa was like big paper headlines, five hundred million ran exit, et cetera. We only raised five million bucks, so it was a great return for investors, founders, and then I went down the crypto rabbit hole and, and started digging in. But like one of the lessons I learned from Gift was like just don't give up. Like you can, it's better to it's better to fail than to give up, and and yeah. there is a there is a distinct difference. Like giving up is there's things you could do. You can keep going, but you choose not to. And yes, they may fail, and there may be dead ends. And failure is, we took it to the end, we ran out of money, we, we were down to the last month, the last week, the last day, and then we, you shut it down. Like, that's failure. But giving up is like, ah, oh, we got two months left, let's give up and not try. And so that's the one biggest lesson I learned, and it's a lesson I've seen happen multiple times in multiple companies. Like. The companies that don't make it are when the founders just give up. And then the companies that do make it is ones where they just don't give up and they just keep going. Now, there's also a time factor. At some point, the business is going nowhere and you want to give up and you can sell the business. That but I mean,
0: that's on that lesson though, that's kind of, uh, it's good and I agree with it, but it's kind of dangerous advice for a lot of entrepreneurs who aren't skilled in understanding the difference between killing yourself and dying with your business and being a logical I'm failing. Let me push this as far as I can go while I don't kill myself. And then it fails. I've learned some lessons rad. How do you differentiate between I'm about to let this business die or I'm about to walk away? Because it's a fine line to trade and you know because of experience.
1: Yeah, you've got to separate your personal ownership in the business. Because like, look, when it comes to tech companies, you have multiple shareholders and multiple investors. If the company's failing, you're not going to put your own personal cash into to bail it out because then it's, it's disproportionate to your ownership, right? So in, in a business where you don't own um, all of it, everyone needs to keep putting money in, etc. and you have to have the right threshold where you just don't dig into your personal wealth to the point where it's detrimental to you. Now, in single-owner businesses, that may be different where you're like, look, I, I believe in it, I want to put more in. But you know, it's hard to tell people where to stop, but I, I can say that it's... You have to have your own comfort level, and when you, when you go past that comfort zone, you have to ask yourself why, and then that's the point of stopping. But but giving up because you're scared of failing is the wrong reason. Like I think the, the more important thing is like don't be scared to fail and the embarrassment of failure. Like don't try and avoid the embarrassment of failure, and and go oh I'm I'm just not going to try because I'm, I'm I feel like this is not working out. And I'm embarrassed and then and give up at that point. Versus you just like the, the money's not there. You just can't make it work.
0: Yeah, and I mean, how much do you factor in like hardcore facts and stats into this? Like traction. If you've got traction but no income, and you run out of money, you didn't fail. You just actually didn't find your customers quick enough, or do you know what I mean? There's a balance that takes place here.
1: So it depends on how sophisticated the entrepreneur is. But generally, if you start a tech business early stage, first two or three years, you find traction. You can always get capital. Like there's always capital available if if you have traction and numbers are growing month. If you're growing your numbers. 10 to 20% every single month, you will find capital. If you're not growing 10 if you're growing 10 to 20% a year, you're probably not going to find capital. So so you have to tune in to what it is. And it may not be revenue, right? It may be just new users, maybe you know, engagement, whatever, some metric, because the moment it's 10% a month, it's doubling every year. And on, a, on an exponential curve, you double every year for three or four years, you have something sizable. You know, I, I'm busy working with another company I'm trying to invest in right now, and they, their growth is not like amazing but there's so much potential and so we'll we'll invest in that company because we think we can help them grow it faster so you want to find people who think that they can help you grow your business faster but there has to be something there like the magic has to have been created already
0: yeah that makes sense and so at gift did you have that kind of growth and traction and you were seeing that yeah once we added bitcoin we did once we added bitcoin everything took off how How long between launching and adding? We launched
1: it in September 2012. We added Bitcoin in April 2013. And so a fair amount
0: of time of struggle. Months of struggle of like this is not going anywhere. And why did you carry on?
1: Well, I wanted to add the Bitcoin and see what and see what happens. So I think that 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 was why. And
0: what was that decision to add Bitcoin? Because I mean that's quite an early decision in a young technology backing the trend of already a pretty progressive idea in a very regulated space. What was your team thinking and saying when you were like, fuck it, let's add Bitcoin and see where the chips fall?
1: So a couple of things, I had I had a lot of opposition to it. I had some support, but a lot of opposition. Okay. Internally, investors were like, don't touch it. It's for, for money laundering and drug traffickers and whatever, whatever, whatever. And so they, I, I ignored everyone. Uh, I just did what I thought was right. Uh, I had one of my internal engineers who literally bet me a bottle of wine that we wouldn't even hit $1,000 on the
0: first day. I, I got a nice bottle of wine. Is <laughs> <Was laughs> that be- Michael? It was Michael. <laughs> Michael asked. Michael specifically asked me to ask you about this exact situation on this call because he knew that it would be a contentious one. <laughs> That's great.
1: <laughs> so so Michael was Michael was pleasantly surprised because it ultimately led to a good exit and he, he he did well as well. So it was good. And then you know it, it was just an interesting journey. And, and I think the, the, the key lessons there was like I remember christmas day 2012 we had so many people buying gift cards and we had so many bugs in the system because it was three months old and i probably still have the notepad but i wrote down all the customer issues i i ran the entire support box on christmas day i went out for lunch you know for like an hour on christmas day just to do christmas lunch and i came back and i worked the entire day the entire day, taking notes of every customer issue and failing and how we would solve it. And I worked with the engineering team in January to fix bugs and you know and deal with these issues. And we put tracking in place, we put a whole bunch of things in place and we built a solid product. And so this is the example where the founder, CEO, product guy needs to be
0: so hands-on. And how big was your team at this time? It was like
1: five, six, seven people.
0: And so, I mean, this is a key observation just to highlight it for listeners that you can't be this douchebag CEO who's like, oh, it's Christmas. I'm out while my team works. If there's problems, hands on deck.
1: I didn't see my family. I was like, I I snuck off for an hour lunch and I was just grinding away because it was like the, you know, we had angry customers and then we had no customer support. That was it, that was me. It was the CEO, customer support. That's how it rolls. Exactly. And it's actually a very valuable thing because as a CEO, with with customer support as a CEO, you learn to understand what your customers really need out of the product. And it was a great learning experience for me
0: that hands-on stuff is so key tell me uh, there's a lot i want to jump back to but tell me how your family responded to this christmas december clusterfuck
1: it was fine my you know my wife Charlene was like you know, she understood it wasn't a happiest day but she understood she's like look i get it but like it is christmas yeah. but you know the, the business is a gift card business and it's a gift business and christmas is peak season it's like when you work in any you know, in the hotel industry you you know christmas like hey yeah we have the hotel's full and people are like, yeah, you, you, know, you have to do stuff. It's, it's one of those things where you yeah. choose an industry where the cycle is Christmas. That's just, that's just the, the business you're in.
0: Hey, folks, it's Nick here. And I know I'm interrupting this fascinating conversation and that can be irritating. But I wanted to ask you to help me out with a couple of things. The first is please subscribe to this podcast right now. Hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening. Spotify, Apple, Google, YouTube, wherever it may be. And if you're feeling generous, give us a five-star rating. Then, if you're an entrepreneur and these conversations resonate with you and you're feeling like an imposter, or you're feeling overwhelmed, or you're struggling to find balance, or you just need help scaling your company, then get in touch with me and let's talk about your coaching options and how I can help you. Visit nharry.com right now. That is N-H-A-R-R-Y dot Back to the knowledge bombs. Yeah. And you mentioned something that I think is important, but you glanced over because you have progressed as an entrepreneur and you now are a board member and an investor. But you said that your investors were actually quite intent on you not adding Bitcoin. The question that I want to ask is, how does an entrepreneur know when to ignore their investors? Trust yourself more than other people. I mean, easy, again, easy for you to say with exits behind you, money in the bank and a vision, but a lot of entrepreneurs buckle with their board, with investors, with knowledge and age behind those other people.
1: You know what's funny? Like a lot of investors will give you money and then they'll give you advice afterwards and they won't give you more money, right? So, so it's one of those things where you've got the money. Yes, you get the, appreciate the advice, but when it comes down to it, are they going to be there to pick up the business when it fails and you can't make it work? And so when the chips are down and nothing's working and you've got to try something different and they don't like it, well, you say, fine, okay, well, if you don't like it, give me another option. They won't have an answer yeah. for you.
0: For years I've said this, that South African uh, investors give you just enough money to fail. Yes,
1: <laughs> exactly. So yeah. African investors are actually some of the worst. Like When, when we do deals now, we actually don't... There's very few, there's, there's some exceptions, but when we actually try not to invest with other investors. We, you know, Newton Partners. So Newton Partners, give me the touch on that for a second. So in 2014, after I had my exit from GIFT, you know, one of the best money in South Africa, did the Dragon's Den TV show in South Africa, did Shark Tank. But I, I worked at Lou Klassen and set up a venture capital business in South Africa and start getting that going. And, you know, the lessons we've learned so far on the way have been to you know, effectively avoid investments with most south african investors because when it comes to tech they just don't know what they're doing the South africa has a long bad history of technology investments in in uh, you know like non-domestic technology like you're building cell towers and shit in south africa you're fine but if you're trying to like invest in software and technology that applies to business outside south africa bad track record
0: yeah i mean especially b2c and that takes me back to gift is that was a, a... B2C business right and b to b actually we had,
1: and- we, we had B2B as well we had a, a good B2B platform for businesses to send gift cards to. Their, I mean gift's still around I, I don't know the details but, yeah. but, but gift is still a decent sized business
0: Jumping back again, you mentioned you turned down a job offer to go and be the CEO at this burgeoning company. That is a really interesting inflection point for me because this is something that I know that a lot of small-scale startup entrepreneurs consider. I'm going to give this my one shot and then I'm going to just go and get a job. And I mean, between you and I, I think we could probably count on two fingers how many formal jobs we've ever had. So, I can't, I'm not a good reference for this, but like What was the thing that made you go, nah, I don't really feel like a comfortable salary and a team, I wanna just drive myself insane to the ground and stick with this?
1: Yeah, it it was a tough one. It was a big job offer. You know, it was kind of like, I didn't want the story of my life to be that I was, an entrepreneur that had some success, some failure,
0: and then moved on.
1: And I was like, you know, I'd rather be a failed entrepreneur that's still trying than a failed entrepreneur who gave up.
0: And you think that's just in your DNA? No, that's just who I am. Yeah, like, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, like, like the people
1: who know me, know me well. They would describe me as, I'd say, someone who is uh, incredibly thick skin's one of the words I'd use. <laughs> but uh, relentless. relentless, relentless. That's the word is I was going to use. Yeah. yeah. Relentless is like, yeah, I just don't give up, and I, I like, I don't give up. I fail, and I fail often, yeah. but I don't give yeah. up. And that's what I, I'd rather be known for is the guy who doesn't give up. I'm happy to fail and we're happy to try things that don't work and, you know, experiment and take chances. And I take lots of risks. I have lots of like investments that have failed, but my wins pay for my losses.
0: You said something to me that I think is interesting as a founder, 80% of your time on one business, 20% on everything else. So what was the equation you did in your head, standing in the Starbucks going, shit, we can't have everybody with their own gift card service. Let me centralize this. How do you as an entrepreneur workout, what is the best use of your 80% time? And what was that equation at GIFT? Like, why did you choose GIFT?
1: I chose GIFT because I thought I had a, an interesting insight into mobile and, uh, and the barcoding systems. And I, I, I sort of spent time understanding how barcoding on gift cards were. And I have a good mind to payment systems and banking and that sort of thing. So I, I kind of, I, I figured it out. I spent a lot of research, I saw how I worked, I looked at the different players. I saw there were lots of bulk sellers, but there were not any direct-to-consumers products and i've been doing consumer yolo for a while and I, I did some research on google and the keywords for gift cards is pretty good like a lot of volume people searching so then yeah. you know keyword research on google for existing industries is actually really important if you go like you sold socks right so you probably did some google adwords and said okay who's searching for socks how much is it how much per click how do we get these users in how do you make it work and then you got to factor in like drop off rate and churn and everything else and can you make this a profitable business? And, you know you've been through this journey i think that people don't do enough google keyword research
0: before they start a- it's one of the most frustrating and most often feedback bits that i give to people pitching me to invest in their businesses is hey have you googled this the number of entrepreneurs who have not googled their own idea is staggering to me staggering
1: yeah these guys know they're competitors. <laughs> yeah. i googled them <laughs> five seconds ago they came up number one and you were nowhere to be found
0: Oh, it's a shocker. It's a shocker. If you're listening, please don't pitch for your eye if you haven't Googled your idea, please. Okay. Now you always come across as a very well put together mental health person, but I remember bumping into you a few years ago at a hotel in Cape Town. We hung out for a couple of hours and you were telling me that you were traveling so much that your body had forgotten how to process food because you didn't know what time zone you were in. So that I want you to explain that particular situation and then I want you to unpack how you've recovered your mental health, your physical health, because I know it's been very conscious for you. In the background, I can see your, your gym equipment. So like walk me through that
1: so I, i've made a lot of changes in my life what happened was in 20 i think it was 2018 when i saw you my mom had just passed away and i was flying back and forth to south africa a couple of times which is very draining and then i also had some conferences to go to in japan uh, europe switzerland like all over the place right and i was on a plane non-stop for like six months i developed an ulcer from the stress of my mom dying i i started putting on a ton of weight i had uh stomach issues etc like motility issues And my body, like, everything combined was just like, this is nuts. And within six months of my mom passing away, I I left Silicon Valley. I moved down to San Diego, and I've been focusing on healing and helping and healthy. And I'm actually probably in the healthiest uh, stage of my life, other than when I was obviously 20 years old. And I feel great, and uh, it's just been a journey. And, like, you know, from a mental health perspective, like, there's nothing more depressing than having a body that's giving in. I've been prone to anxiety in the past. I haven't had too much of that lately, except when I'm very freaking masks for covid it gives me anxiety like seriously like i can't breathe in those things so so what have i done a couple of things and the most important i'll give you the most important things for listeners right now is that the one thing i've done which has changed my life in a big way is cutting out seed oils which gives me high levels of omega-6s and high levels of inflammation which means your muscles are always sore when you go to the gym afterwards you go for massages everything's like really flared up and it pushes up your HSCRP numbers, which basically means your body finding inflammation constantly. So what what is seed oils? It's canola oil, sunflower oil, anything which is like a really highly processed, highly refined oil that you shouldn't be eating. Like obviously sometimes it's a little bit slips in here. But at home, it's avocado oil, olive oil, macadamia nut oil is really good. This has, within 30 days, I saw massive change in my health. So, it takes a while to get out of your system, and then over time, it just gets better and better. I cut out gluten and dairy for the most part, so that's another thing. But I, I eat a lot of chicken and fish. Um, I'll eat some lamb here and there. I try and avoid, uh, avoid beef. Beef is yeah. especially So, grain fed beef is basically the corn being eaten by the cow, and then you basically like, you might well have the seed oils. You're getting like corn <laughs> oil and stuff. It's like terrible. So highly inflammatory. So, I stay away from okay. that as well.
0: But. My guess is that you weren't always doing this as you, you're telling me you've only made this change in the last like three or four years. So at Gifts, Yola, do you think you weren't really operating at your best? I wasn't. I,
1: I thought I was and I wasn't. So I used to work ridiculous hours. I used to probably get three hours and I'd sleep four hours a sleep and I'd sleep go to work. And I was in my 20s and 30s and I thought I could do it. And I did it. And the interesting about coffee, I found out. Mm. This is really interesting. Coffee does not... Give you energy. it just tells your body you're not tired. so the, you you get something called sleep debt, which you have to pay off at some point whether you dead when you die or before that. That's my recommendation for people and this is yeah, you know, I've done a whole bunch of work in this area. I mean I have an aura ring which I wear every night to track yeah. my sleep. you can use any sleep tracker. optimize yourself for about an hour and a half of REM sleep a night every single night and try and get, six to seven hours of real sleep. Now you can be in bed for eight hours and only get six to seven hours of sleep. It depends on how well you sleep, how restless you are at night. But I think that we are a sleep deprived society. And I think entrepreneurs would do a lot better saying, you know what, writing this extra line of code at 10 o'clock at night is not healthy. I'd rather wake up at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. and do it. Get to bed early, get those seven, eight hours of night sleep. And everyone tells you this, but I can tell you that the, the, the impact on your health is immense and getting to seven, eight hours sleep should be, like, I I almost wanna put it into the term sheets of companies I invest into. Okay,
0: You, you took the words out of my mouth because I'm an advocate for this. People are looking for a drug, they're looking for a silver bullet, that silver bullet is eight hours of sleep. That's the deal, right, except, are you telling this? Seven hours a so Sure, less than five and you're fucked, especially as a young founder. You think you're doing your best work, but you're not. But Vinny, you and I have had this conversation before and the last time I asked you the question, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? You said to me, nothing because I wouldn't listen. Yes. And surely that remains true, right? You were investing in businesses with 20-year-old founders. who so are like, no, Vinny, I'm fine. And how are you stopping them? If, if your investors had gifted, said to you, Vinny, stop working 18 hours a day. Take a break. You're not your best self. You would have been like, screw you. I got shit to do.
1: That's the problem. I don't think this is a lesson that people are going to listen to me about because yeah. it's it's counterintuitive. If I work less hours, I get less done. And sometimes... and so, Remember, it's also the type of work you do. If, you're, if your job and you build your company is like, we're launching tomorrow I'm going to go through this checklist of these things in that order there's no real thinking it's just actual doing sure you, you know, as long as you get it done it's fine I think that there's there's a time and place for putting in long hours I don't think it's every single day so if you you know if you could do it, like I would rather give up, if I went back in time I'd rather give up weekend time and other time to put those extra hours in and get more optimal sleep every night I, I think you're less cranky I, I'm very calm at the moment I'm very calm I'm very happy I get enough sleep I you know I I wake up I've got a good gym routine I've got a good eating routine now I'm traveling a lot less it's working out
0: So I call this the sacrifice fallacy. It's the fallacy that hustle culture has sold us, that if you sacrifice your sleep, your exercise, and your good eating, you will be a better founder. When in fact, it's the complete opposite. The more you sleep, the better you eat, the more you exercise, the better version of yourself you are, and the more people want to work with you. If you're an asshole founder who is underslept, under-exercised, and you can't do your best work, nobody is going to want to work with you. Yeah.
1: So, so, so here's here's like here's my here's my routine for people. I think if you want to if you want to work in a startup and do it, like I would wake up at five every morning, which I, I kind of do right now, five or six. Wake up at five thirty-six, get two hours worth the emails done, okay, and and work done. Get ahead of the day. Put out. Go, go to the gym. Spend an hour, hour and a half from the gym. Come back, do the rest of your day. You have your lunch, whatever dinner and then make sure that you get lights out by like, you know, nine. getting your bed at 9 o'clock and have read for half an hour and then, you know, lights out and start the next day at 5 a.m. And I promise you, if you start doing the 5 a.m. thing, there's actually a book about it, by the way. There's a book about the, it was a 5 a.m. I read it. Robin
0: Sharma.
1: Robin Sharma. Robin Robin Sharma, who who also wrote The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Uh, It's a great book. It basically shows like so many successful people wake up at 5 a.m. You, it's so quiet, it's so, I get my cup of coffee at five, I, I sit in my office, I sit here, I get my work done, I get ahead of my email box. And you know what's funny? The days when I don't do that, for whatever reason, is the days that stress me out because I'm so behind on my emails, I'm so behind, I fall behind on stuff. Like those two hours of like, no one phoning you, no one messaging you, no one like, mm. no, one's, no one's eating, nothing's happening. Maybe this morning at Russia attacking Ukraine, but, <laughs> you know. But what like, a time to be alive. It's, it's, it's really, really interesting how much more productive you are when you can get ahead of your day like that. And then I, I'd say like the other lifestyle change, which I think everyone should do is four days a week worth of weight training, even just an hour a day is mm. extremely valuable on top of it. You know, you can do your own cardio or whatever else you want to do, but four days a week of weight training, I'd say at least three, three to four is a good number. And then getting about one gram per kilo of protein in into your body every single day. Is just very healthy for longevity, uh, maintaining muscle, you know, not getting osteoporosis, all those things, right? So, so I, I think cutting out seed oils, three to four days a week of weights, uh, and, and eight hours a night sleep, and you you'll probably live a long, happy life, no matter what you do. What well, and.
0: And to take this back to being um, an entrepreneur in a startup, the truth is if you do these things to prevent burnouts, to prevent the mental health strains, you will be building a better business. And I think you and I can both speak from the opposite experience. I'm bald because of stress. I've had a stomach ulcer like you that put me in hospital, kidney stones twice. Like that's not a good way to build a business. You aren't the best version of self when you are literally dying. Yeah, time you save now, you'll have to invest later in your health, And it will be harder. And it will be harder when you're older. And I think at over 40 and just about to be 40, I can attest to it's harder when you're older to recoup your health. I know um, people
1: aren't going to listen. They go, oh, Vinny, it's easy. You've made money. It's okay. You don't have to stress. I'm like, look, I know that. And I know you. know, you know I know if, you're, if you're out there, you're struggling, you're probably not going to listen to me. But I do think please that... Please do. Um, uh, you know, I think that... And maybe everyone's different, but I think getting a routine going is probably... The, like getting ha- habits and rituals are the most important things you can do with your life. Yeah. The ritual of like having a cup of coffee in the morning, waking up at a certain time, reading at a certain time, having lunch at certain, like these things take off make mental cognitive overhead from you. Because you don't have to think about it. You're like, I have to do this this time. You just keep going. And then you fill up the rest of your day with important stuff, and your brain has more capacity to deal with these things because it's not thinking about, when do I go to gym? When do I have lunch? When do I, like, it's, it seems so simple. And yet it's it's, it's easily missed.
0: I love that. And I actually want to ask you around startups in that regard. So I've got mental models that I call my nickisms that I pass decisions through to make decision making easier too. For example, one of my nickisms is trust people until they give you a reason not to. So I don't painstakingly decide if you're someone I trust. If you fuck me and that's once, we're done. It's over. There's no mental energy I'm spending on that. As a founder, and I mean, maybe if gift or at any of your businesses, what are the processes and routines that make it easier for people to build businesses? It's a bit of a complex question, but I mean, maybe you've got some that you just default to all the time.
1: I mean, give me, like, it's a complex question. Like, uh, let's break it up. It is.
0: Okay. So for example, um, hiring, do you look for a certain person? When do you review your books? What do you do in terms of analyzing an opportunity and risk-taking? Like how do you filter these ideas? And what I jump back to here is the decision not to go and become the COO. You must've had decision trees that led you down this route. You couldn't have just gone, fuck it. Let me throw my hat in the ring.
1: No. So, so the thing is this at the time, I think it was a, a, a function of loyalty to my team as well. So okay. one of the things I, I found about myself is I'm extremely loyal to my you know, friends, people I work with, etc. And I try and do the best for them. And and as a CEO and founder, you know there are times to move on. I moved on recently from Civic as CEO. Ah, I'm still right? chairman, and I, I've you know everyone loves the current CEO. He spent three years under me as COO. It was a healthy transition. Uh, he's doing a, you know great job managing. Like I think we've lost one person one person in the past year out of about oh. forty. So, so people are very happy, and and everyone's happy. I'm still so involved. I'm going to like you know I do board meetings and uh, team events and stuff. But you know, if I had left and said, guys, you're on your own. You know, let's shut the company down. Disappointed my investors at a gift. We wouldn't have had this outcome. I mean, maybe my co-founder CJ or Mark would have taken over and run it, but we wouldn't. We definitely wouldn't have had the outcome we had. I think that you know there's like. Bitcoin was a change it and that was my my, my doing yeah. ultimately me pushing it I and mean, maybe we have a different outcome you, you don't know right but for me that you know the, the sort of moving on giving up thing is out of character for me and so yeah. I try and try to stay true to myself it's it's probably more of like a narcissistic behavior pattern where you 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 know like narcissists try and protect the image of themselves quite mm. you know, like, yeah, I have an image of myself and I want to protect it so I, I see myself as someone who wouldn't let down a whole bunch of people willingly. And, you know, sometimes like, you know, you have to, sometimes, okay, well we have to lay off 20, 30 people and here you go. Right. But that's different. I think it's yeah. like, yeah you know, it was my choice to turn on the job because, I didn't feel that was consistent with my personal values.
0: I think that that is a key thing as a founder, you aren't just building stuff for yourself in spite of your self image being quite important. And as a CEO and a founder, you are putting yourself at the center of a business and there is ego attached to it and there is self image. And that stuff I think is important. We, we've been told recently the toxic masculinity is bad and it is, but the idea of sense of self isn't. Like who you if are matters. Anything is bad. <laughs> yeah, toxic anything is bad, right? Even your own self-image. But I don't think you can be a founder of a high-growth startup and think you're going to fail and not believe in yourself to the point of blind stupidity. I think you do have to have that level of insanity.
1: I'm working on a new company right now. I haven't announced it. and One of my investors asked me, like, hey, you know, like, what's your commitment to the company? Because I'm obviously you know, a whole bunch of things. It's a startup from scratch, so I've made money. Why am I doing another startup? And I said to him, I said, you know, I, I, I think there's something interesting here. I want to give it a chance, but I'm going to, you know, I was very frank, and I'm frank with anyone. Like, we're going to try our best over the next, you know, year or two, whatever, building it out. But if we fail, we fail, right? We're not going to mm. you know, drag this on for 10 years and try Like, we're going to try our best in, in a short space of time and sprint as hard as we can. And when the writing's on the wall, the writing's on the wall. And that's But I won't give up until then, right? So mm. I, will, I will fight until we get to the point where we just, if we can't make it work, we can't make it work. It's like, we're going to try though. And I think it's more important that you're willing to try.
0: And I think that's a key thing. And we can, we can close on this, that since my first exits, which was 10 times smaller than the first offer I got, I was offered a, a metric shit ton and turned it down. And 12 months later sold for 10 times less. I've learned a very important lesson. Don't marry your idea. Sometimes ideas don't fucking work. And that's okay that's part of the game if you are an entrepreneur building one idea for your whole life you're in trouble you have to back yourself that there will be more ideas there will be more startups there will be more businesses this one isn't the one that will define your entire life and i have to say even for someone like zach he might leave Facebook at the age of 40 and he still has 40 more years to live in, in his case, maybe a hundred, depending on how much tech he's got. And he's got other businesses, right? There is always something else. And I think that that's what you're saying is it's okay to fail. It's okay to try and go, oh, you know what, it didn't work. Yeah,
1: exactly. You shouldn't be scared of failure. Be more scared of
0: giving up. Okay, last thing is tell, tell people where they can find you, where they can follow you and anything else you want them to know. But before you do, I'm really glad to say that for you and your startup career, it's not over. Well,
1: no? we'll see. <laughs> Hope not. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, he will find me on, find me on uh, Twitter. Best place
1: to find me, at Vinny Lingham. Look forward to chatting to you guys. And thanks, Nick. This is great. Awesome.